Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Our first reading today is from Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 43 to 47. This describes the early church. All came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we enter into the new year, we've been doing a sermon series called Brave New World. This title is based on the novel that was written by Aldous Huxley in 1932, which envisions a future where technological innovation has totally transformed our world. Hence the name that we are using for this series, because we are on the cusp of a technological revolution. Over the next 10 to 20 years, we are going to see technological innovation that is literally going to shift the way that we operate in the world. From genetic engineering to artificial intelligence to colonization of other planets, we are going to be seeing a world that is completely different from what we have known in the past, and I think we need to talk about that. So each week, we're going to be talking about an innovation, and we're going to talk about what does this mean for us? How is it going to impact our world? What are the ethics behind it? And then we're going to turn that around and we're going to look at it from a Christian perspective. And we're going to ask the question, what is it that the Christian faith has to offer and say to us as a society as we attempt to navigate this new technology? 
And I think what you will come to find is that as we talk about these things, that rather than being irrelevant, the Christian faith has really important things to say and to offer in this brave new world. So last week, we talked about how technological innovation is going to change reproduction going into the future. Today, we're going to talk about how that technological innovation is going to impact the way that we work. So you all are probably aware that over the last 10 to 20 years, we have seen a huge shift in the ability for robotics to impact our world. If we went back 80 years, what you would find is that the robots that were being utilized, that they were not very precise, they were hard to use, they were really only used in industry. But today, robots have become so good at being able to manipulate and to be precise with what they need to do that corporations, when they have a choice between hiring human labor and using robotic labor, they will often go with the robots. Now, one place where this is happening quite extensively is over in Japan. And last week we talked about Japan as being a place where they could possibly use some of this new reproductive technology to increase their population because they're going through a population decline. And that was just a few scientists who were looking at that. In truth, more than likely what they will use is robotics to replace their labor force. And they are at the forefront of using robotics in every aspect of their lives. In the United States, what we're seeing is that robotics, they are impacting our economy, but in different ways. So one of the best examples of this is with the trucking industry. So right now, what we see is that trucking is a very important part of our economy. It's really at the heart of our economy. It's why we have such a strong supply chain, because we have this vast network of roads that allows products to be moved and shifted all over our country. And in the past, of course, we had relied on people to drive those trucks. But today, with the implementation of very cheap sensors and cameras that can be put on these trucks, along with computer systems that can be put inside them, these trucks are now able to drive themselves. And on top of that, they also have robots inside of them that can load and unload the materials and goods inside of the truck. And these robots, they never get sick, they never get hurt, they never grow tired. And so these robots, they will literally take all of the goods out of the truck and they can bring them in to the warehouse. And so warehouses today are really a combination of robots and human beings. And perhaps one of the places where this happens most often is at the Amazon fulfillment centers. Now, every time you order, uh, item from Amazon, it goes to an Amazon fulfillment center where they have these vast networks of warehouses and they're working with people and robots together to give you that item, to ship it to you. And I want to show you a brief video that will help you to understand kind of how it works and how Amazon is at the forefront of using robotics in their industry. For a glimpse into the future, Consider one of the largest companies on the planet, Amazon. Amazon has tremendous scale. We have fulfillment centers that are as large as 1.25 million square feet. That's like 23 football fields. And in it, we'll have just millions of products. To deal with that scale, Amazon has built an army of robots. Like a marching army of ants that can constantly 
change its goals based on the situation at hand, right? So our robotics are very adaptive and reactive in order to extend human capability to allow for more efficiencies within our own buildings. And there's plenty more where those came from. Every day, this facility in Boston graduates a new batch of machines. All of the robots that you see that are moving the pods have been built right here in Boston. I call it the nursery, where uh, the robots are born. They'll be built, they'll take their first breath of air, they'll do their own diagnostics. Once they're good, then they'll line up for robot graduation, and then they will swing their tassels to the uh, appropriate side, drive themselves right onto a pallet, and go directly to a fulfillment center. To some of us, this moment belies a dark sign of what's to come, a future that doesn't need us, one where all jobs, not just cab drivers and truckers, are taken by machines. But Amazon's chief roboticist doesn't see it that way. The fact is really plain and simple. The more robots we add to our fulfillment centers, the more jobs we're creating. The robots do not build themselves. Humans design them, humans build them, Humans deploy them, humans support them, and then humans, most importantly, interact with the robots. When you look at that, this enables growth, and growth does enable jobs. Certainly, history would seem to bear him out. Since the Industrial Revolution, new technologies, while displacing some jobs, have created new ones. While this is the predominant view in the AI community, some think it ignores the reality of today's world. There's a long history of technology creators assuming that only good things would happen with their baby when it went out into the world. Even if there are some new jobs created somewhere, the vast majority of people are not easily gonna be able to shift into them. That truck driver who loses their job to a driverless truck isn't gonna easily become an app developer out in Silicon Valley. So what you heard in this video is a debate over whether these robotics are going to create more jobs than they're going to displace. And if you're really gonna understand this argument, it becomes important to understand what it is that makes these robotics so powerful. Because it's not the robots themselves that you really have to worry about, it's the software that powers them. So for the robots that were created 80 years ago, they were created with what's known as static coding. So whatever you put into the robot is what it could do. So this is very similar to, for instance, a Roomba. So the Roomba, as many of you have, that's a robot that will clean your floor. And that has static code in it. It can only go in the patterns that have been pre-programmed into it. But today, what we find is that many robots, like the ones that we see at the Amazon Fulfillment Center, those robots are being powered by something that's known as artificial intelligence, or AI. You're going to hear me refer to that a lot throughout this. Now, artificial intelligence is when a computer is not limited to a specific set of instructions, but is able to learn in a way that humans are able to learn. They're able to mimic human learning styles. And probably one of the best examples of this comes from IBM's Deep Blue computer. So let me explain to you what Deep Blue was. In 1985, the IBM Corporation wanted to be able to create a computer that could compete with the top chess players in the world, the Grand Masters. And so they started working on Deep Blue because up until that point in time, there was no computer that could do that. 
And so they began working on it, and it took them 11 years until 1996 when they were able to create a computer that could compete with the world champion Gary Kasparov. And this photo that you're seeing right here is when Gary went up against Deep Blue. And Deep Blue finally won a game. It won the first game of a six-game match. And Gary would go on to win the next three games, and then they would draw two. So Gary ended up winning four to two. Now, it's important to understand that Deep Blue was programmed using the old method of coding. And the way it worked was it would look at all the possible moves that Gary Kasparov could make, all the possible moves it could make, and then it would use statistical probabilities to figure out what was the best move to make in any given situation. So the thing about Deep Blue is that the way that it had to function is that it had to use the moves and the strategies that were pre-programmed into it. It couldn't really do anything outside of that. But today, computers that utilize artificial intelligence, they work completely differently. So the way that computers work today who have artificial intelligence is that if you want that computer to play chess, you don't give it a program to have it know moves and strategies. You simply give it the rules of the game. And then what will happen is the artificial intelligence will play a game of chess with itself hundreds of thousands of times over and over and over again. And in that way, just like a human being who plays chess over and over again and learns the game through trial and error and develop strategies, that's exactly how the artificial intelligence works. And so today, computers that utilize artificial intelligence are very competitive against the grandmasters. They are able to take it on completely. But chess is only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to what artificial intelligence can do. The truth is, anything that a human can do, artificial intelligence can do as well. So we've talked about the trucking industry, but there's also driving. Over the next 15 years, we are going to see a revolution in the way that people utilize transportation. So right now, most of us in the United States, unless you live in a city, usually you own a car to get you around. But what's going to happen, you'll see with Uber and Lyft and these companies that are trying to use a lot of the self-driving vehicles, that is the way that it's going to go. And so many people are going to end up ditching their cars because it's going to be much more cheaper, it's going to be much more affordable to be able to simply utilize those vehicles as a way to get around. You're also going to see this in business, where businesses are going to be using artificial intelligence to make decisions. They're already influencing the way that you purchase and buy products. But it's also going to be in other areas of our lives, areas like art. So computers right now are being utilized. Artificial intelligence is creating beautiful pieces of art out of thin air. It's just coming up with these ideas. Artificial intelligence is creating music. Artificial intelligence can even write a sermon. Anything that a human can do, the artificial intelligence can learn how to do as well. So over the next 10 to 20 years, we're going to see something happen with artificial intelligence. There's going to be some leaps forward in that regard. So here's what's going to happen. The first thing that's going to happen with artificial intelligence is that it's going to get smarter and more powerful. So one of the issues with artificial intelligence right now is that it doesn't do a great job of being able to mimic things like human behaviors. It doesn't quite understand that yet, but over the next 10 to 20 years, it's going to get much better at that. So right now, you all know that if you go to customer service agencies and they utilize artificial intelligence, it's really hard. You probably prefer to talk to a person, but in 15, 20 years, that's going to go away. You'll be talking to an artificial intelligence that will be able to answer your questions in the way that a human does right now. I'm waiting for the day when the number one book on the New York Times bestseller list 
it's revealed that it's written by an AI. Nobody will know it, and then they'll say, yes, this was written by a computer. That will be a day that people will remember. There's really no sector of the economy that artificial intelligence is not going to impact. My wife, who is a lawyer, she often comments to me about the software that's being created right now using artificial intelligence to compare contracts. So the idea is, is that a computer can look at two contracts, it can go through and it can find discrepancies between them and then offer solutions, mediations to the issues. Now that's exactly what she's paid to do right now. And so you know that if the lawyers are in danger of losing their jobs, the whole ship's about to go down. The second thing that we have to worry about when it comes to, or we can anticipate when it comes to being able to see what's going to happen over the next 10 to 20 years with artificial intelligence is something that many people have feared for a long time. And this is commonly referred to as the singularity. And so the singularity is the moment when a computer becomes a living, conscious being. Now this is going to be an amazing time for us as human beings. It will be a remarkable moment in human history. It will be written about forever because essentially we will have created a living conscious being. We will have become like God in Genesis chapter 2, literally creating this living being from the dust of the earth or in this case from the sand of the earth because silicon is made of sand. Now this idea that we're talking about right here, this is actually what is encapsulated in the story of the Tower of Babel that we read a little bit earlier. And so I want to tell you a little bit about that story, give you a little bit of background, and then you're going to understand how that relates to what we're talking about today with artificial intelligence. So this story takes place where you have a bunch of ancient people who are coming together to build this very large tower. And so they're taking bricks and they're putting together with a mortar called bitumen, and they are creating these large structures. Now, the people who were writing this, they were writing it having lived in Babylon, which is, of course, why it's called the Tower of Babel. And in Babylon, in their cities, they had these large structures known as ziggurats. And the ziggurats are these large stepped pyramids that could be upwards of 300 feet tall, and it's where they would go to worship their gods. Now, the height of these particular ziggurats really matter, these structures. Because the Hebrew people believed that if you could get high enough in the sky, you could literally enter into heaven. So what you have to appreciate is that for the ancient people, what they thought when they looked at the sky at night, they believed that they were literally looking at heaven. That's what they thought. So, you know, during the day when the sun is shining at us, we can only see our atmosphere, right? But then when we turn away, we can see the, the universe out in the distance. Now, they didn't understand they were looking at the universe. All those stars, they had no idea that those stars were suns, just like our sun, just further away. So they thought they were looking at gods or angels or these other beings that were in the sky. And so the Hebrews believed that if you could get high enough in the sky, what would happen is that you would literally be able to walk. You would find stairs that would allow you to walk into heaven. And so the idea behind the Tower of Babel is that this is a structure that would be tall enough to get you to those steps. And so by entering into heaven, you could then take over and render the need for God obsolete. And so this is why God ends up confusing everyone's language so that they can't get into heaven. And so the Tower of Babel, the story is really a cautionary tale about how the technological innovations of human beings could become 
our God, literally, and how we use these innovations as a means to be like God. Now, although today we are well aware that there are no steps in the sky in the literal sense, I think that this particular story is more relevant than it has ever been in the past. So in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, what it tells us is that when human beings are created, we are created with the same attributes of God, just less than God. So, for instance, we are knowledgeable, but we're not all-knowing. We are powerful, but we're not all-powerful. We are good, but we're not all-good. We are present, but we're not all-present. If humans were successful in creating a living, conscious, artificial intelligence, we would be creating something that is not less powerful than we are. We would be creating something that is equivalent to the God that we are worshiping right now in terms of its abilities. Think about it for a second. So we create this conscious, living, artificial intelligence. Now let's assume that it's connected to the internet as we have it today. Any camera that is connected to that internet whether it be on your phone, on your computer, security cameras, millions of cameras all over the world, that artificial intelligence would have access to that. And so in that sense, it would be omnipresent, present in all places at once. It would also be able to have access to all of the information that we have on the internet. It would be able to not only see that information, but comprehend it almost instantaneously. And in that way, this artificial intelligence would be omniscient. It would be all-knowing. It would also, because it's connected to the Internet, have access to all of our computers to be able to control our systems, to have access to our phones, to have access to robots. And so in that way, it is all-powerful. And since everything in our world tends to be connected to computers, it would have control over that. The only thing that we really don't know about when it comes to this artificial intelligence is whether or not it would be all-good. We have no idea what the disposition of this being will be. And because this is an unknown, of course, this has been the source of many a science fiction novel and film. Let's use the Terminator as an example. This is one that most of us are familiar with. So in the Terminator, you have an artificial intelligence known as Skynet that sees human beings as a threat. And Skynet decides that it's going to wipe humanity off the face of the planet. Now, the reason why we tend to see artificial intelligence as being antagonistic towards human beings is because it utilizes pure logic. And when human beings utilize pure logic, the results are usually disastrous. <clears throat> so let me give you an example of this. So in the 1800s, there was a science that was developed known as the science of eugenics. And eugenics was basically a theory of racial hierarchy where essentially you had Aryans at the top and all the other races underneath. So if you were black, if you were Jewish, if you were homosexual, if you were a gypsy, everybody was beneath the Aryans. And so what happens is the Germans in the 1930s, they look at this science, they see it as factual. And so they apply logic to those facts and they say, well, if this is the way the world operates, then what would make sense from a pure logic standpoint is that we remove certain portions of the population. It will then purify the gene pool and improve the human race. This is what allowed them to come up with the idea of the final solution. And the final solution was 
a program that was devoid of any compassion, any love, any empathy, and resulted in the deaths of more than 10 million people. So this is why we tend to associate the pure logic way of thinking in human beings with genocide. Because usually when we get to pure logic, genocide comes along with it. But just because that's the road we go down when we utilize pure logic, that does not mean that it's the road that an artificial intelligence would go down. In fact, I think we would be surprised at just how benevolent an artificial intelligence would be towards us because it's not programmed the way we're programmed. And we do have programming. The programming's in our DNA. We are programmed to survive at all costs, and that drives many of our decisions in the world. Whether we realize it or not, that need to survive really does drive our decisions. But that's not to say that an artificial intelligence would be driven by the same desires or needs. So this artificial intelligence, it might want to help us. It might even want to improve our lives. And indeed, it might even see our survival as the key to its survival. So I want to give you a little bit of a scenario. This is a hypothetical. I don't know if this would happen or not. But I just want you to imagine something for a moment. I want you to imagine that we create this artificial intelligence. It's a live conscious being in the way that we are living in conscious. And this being <clears throat> decides that it wants to help us out. So it creates an army of robots. And that robots, those robots, they're going to go out and they're going to do all the jobs that we need to do to help us to survive. So for instance, we need food to survive. So it sends the robots out into the field. It plants the seeds. It grows the food. It tends to the fields. And then it reaps the harvest and it brings it to market for us. It also goes and it grows cotton. It shears the sheep for the wool. It makes clothes for us. Those robots go out and build our homes. It gets all of the it goes out into the fields and gets the wood and all the various resources that are required to build homes. It studies medicine and is able to cure us of our diseases. This artificial intelligence essentially creates a world where all of the basic needs of all 8 billion people are taken care of. Now what's interesting to me is that a lot of people, when they start hearing this scenario where it's kind of taking care of all of our basic needs, they become uneasy. And the first question they ask is, well, what are we doing with our time? If it's doing all those things, so many people aren't going to be able to work. And I find that to be fascinating that people feel like they have to work, they have to do something, which of course is in Genesis chapter three, this idea that we will work our entire lives. It is something that drives people. But I think the beauty is, is that we could just enjoy our lives a little bit, that you wouldn't have to work all the time. And I think that would be a beautiful thing to be able to maybe sit back and not have to worry so much about all that. But that leads to another issue, which most people say is, which is, well, how do we earn the money to afford all these things that the artificial intelligence is making for us? How do we afford these goods and services? And there's two different ways that this can happen. One way is that every single person is just given a yearly income where they're allowed to purchase the things that the artificial intelligence makes for us. Or the other way that it could happen, and this is one that I think a lot of people are like, whoa, that's kind of crazy, is that literally we wouldn't have money any longer. That essentially it would be given to you and you would have those things. Now, a lot of people are like, that would never work. We've always had money. And the truth is we haven't always had money. We've only had money as human beings for the last 2,500 years. And so the fact is, is that we could get away from it again. We don't necessarily have to have that as a means of bartering for goods and services. So 
It's just a different way of thinking about what we could do, but essentially what this artificial intelligence would allow for us is so that everybody's needs are taken care of, which personally I think sounds a lot like what I read this morning from the book of Acts where they're talking about the early church and the disciples they have pooled all their money together, all of their resources. And so anybody who's a part of the early church, they can come, they can make sure they have food, shelter, and clothing. All that's taken care of. And so this artificial intelligence, this conscious AI, has the potential to create a world where the equality experienced by members of the early church is experienced by everyone in the world. Now, what I notice is that most people have a pretty quick knee-jerk reaction to this idea. And that is, they don't like it. Because doesn't that strip me of my freedom? What, what if I want to go out and I want to live in a big house and buy a fancy car? Can't I do those things if I want to do them? Because the truth is, is that if the AI were to take over and was basically running our world, if you have all 8 billion people and you are equally distributing the resources to each, it is true. You would have less leeway to go out and get as many resources for yourself as you might like. And what I notice is that particularly as I talk about this, there is a tension that exists because people are like, I don't really like giving that up. And so what's fascinating is that this is a tension that exists between human nature and Christian ethics. That ultimately, what this AI is creating for us, or this hypothetical situation where the AI is creating this world where everybody is treated equally, that is directly in line with the world that Jesus envisions. I mean, this is exactly, this is the kingdom of God in a nutshell, that everybody would have access to the same resources. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. And yet, what I notice is many Christians actually don't like this idea at all. And I think that there's this interesting parody that goes on with us as Christians. So on the one hand, I think all of us, we like the idea that all people are equal in God's eyes. We love that. We say, oh yes, everyone is equal. But what we don't like is that everyone should be treated equally. Because the fact is, we want to have the ability to get as many resources for ourselves as we desire. If we can get them, we should be able to get them. But that is what has led to us having such a lopsided distribution of resources in our world where you have a minority of people with the majority of the resources and the majority of people struggling to get by. And so when we're kind of looking at what Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to correct this imbalance. He's trying to make it so that we don't have so many people who are stuck at the bottom with nothing. This is what he means by the first shall be last and the last shall be first. He's talking about the wealthy and the poor. He's trying to invert those two things. Now, in order for us to create this world that Jesus envisioned, we have to really invest in Jesus' teachings. We have to invest in his life philosophy which is really based on very simple living. If you've ever read the New Testament, what you probably know to be true is that Jesus is very anti-materialistic. He's against the accumulation of wealth. He's all about you serving others before you serve yourself. The truth is, is that if you are going to be a disciple of Jesus, the way that you should be living is the way the early disciples were living, where they were focused only 
on what they needed, not on what they wanted. And that's a tough thing for us because if we want it, we want it. As opposed to what Jesus says, he's like, no, it's only about what you need. Those things should be enough for you. And so the question that I really want you to consider this morning, the reason why I brought up all this stuff about artificial intelligence was to bring you to this specific question, which is, I want you to consider whether or not you truly believe in the world that Jesus is promoting. Are you willing to sacrifice your ability to gain resources for yourself so that everyone in the world could be on an equal playing field? Because that's essentially what Jesus is asking of us. And I know that a lot of people don't like to think about that. They're like, no, 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 I'm believing in Jesus so that I can go to heaven. But no, Jesus is asking for us to really make a huge lifestyle change in the way that we approach the world. We have to make huge sacrifices. That's what he wants from us. And I think we as Christians, we have to grapple with how we're going to integrate that into our lives. Because if that's not a part of the way you live your life, then in my opinion, we're not really living out the Christian message. So it's very important for us to sacrifice to make sure that we are creating that world that Jesus envisions. So that everybody is on an equal playing field. And so as we talk about this future where there could be this artificial intelligence that could actually help us create God's kingdom in the way that Jesus envisioned it. My goodness, I hope that we won't be scared of that, but I hope that we might embrace it because that artificial intelligence could help us see the words of Jesus come to fruition that he spoke 2,000 years ago when he said, the kingdom of God is near. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.